Real people, real conversations over coffee. This is Meet Me for Coffee. This is Larry Hankin, and this is Meet Me for Coffee. Uh, and I'm meeting with George right now. Oh, yes, you are. And I'm a very big Seinfeld fan. As you can see, I'm wearing a George Costanza <laughs> apocalyptic <laughs> moon shirt. Cool. And uh, back in the late 90s, you had a role in a Seinfeld episode, or actually a two, right? Was it two? Um, uh, Seinfeld, yeah, two. So did Tom Pepper steal yeah. the raisins? Did he actually steal the raisins? Um, if, if I told you the truth, I would have to kill you. Eh? So, well, I mean, it's in I my contract. I mean, I, I don't know anything about raisins, man. I, hey, I don't know anything about raisins. Uh, I never ate a raisin. I never saw a raisin. I have no idea what you're talking about. How, how did that role come along? Um, well, actually, it all started with uh, Michael Richards. Uh, he suggested me, uh, and uh, they didn't know about me. I guess they, they knew about me. It just never occurred to them. But uh, Michael Richards and I had been auditioning for the same part for, for years before Seinfeld. I mean, you know, we're tall, we look alike, you know, we're funny. So we always met. And finally, we were cast together as brothers in a, a sitcom about, well, I don't know what that was, uh, in, in a sitcom about um, a restaurant. It was a restaurant sitcom. It went off the air years and years ago. But we, we robbed the place. We were two brothers robbing the place. And uh, we were friends until we, we did that part because there was one part where we were in a car, we, were in a, uh, we were escaping. So we were in a truck escaping. And when we were rehearsing on the truck set, it wasn't really a truck. It was, you know, green screen. But we were on the, on the set rehearsing before they shot the particular escape scene. He was telling me how, how it should go and how it should be funny. And we have totally different ideas about comedy. He's very up there and I'm very under. And we were arguing about what was funny and what wasn't funny. That must have been hysterical. I would have loved to have seen that argument. Two comics arguing, like, no, 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 it's got to be like this. No, no, you got to say this. No, no, you So uh, it, was, it was weird. You know, we did it the way the director directed it, basically. But he was really PO'd about it. You know, that we didn't do it his way. We didn't do it my way. But he wanted to. He was very insistent. Anyway... He did finally when uh, it went on the air. He suggested I audition for. He said, "There's a guy named Larry Hankin I worked with," and so he he uh, it was him who got me the job. Then I auditioned, and uh, the audition was it's a long well it's not a long story but it's a story. I don't know if you want to hear it, but basically it was the door thing. Yeah, uh, well, you know how he comes in the door. You know that's very funny, man. And he invented that. That that's his creation. Uh, and when I watched Seinfeld, which is one of the only shows I watched, I just really thought the humor was really great. It was just is in my in my area. So uh, when they asked me to audition, I auditioned five times for that show. And I was the only guy who looked anything like Michael Richards. I mean, I was auditioning with short guys, fat guys, guys with beards, guys who looked like you, exactly, bald guys. And I couldn't understand you know, wait a minute, I'm auditioning for the part of a guy who's imitating, you know, uh, Kramer. I couldn't understand it. So I did the audition and I knew everybody in the audition. It was, um, there was Seinfeld was there, Costanza was there. I mean, you know, the actor who played Costanza. There was a director, you can tell the director, you know, he just, <laughs> he's the only one looking like he was a homeless guy. Uh, I'm joking, but you know, very dishabille. And then there was a, a, a producer who was a suit. So I knew him. And then there was a bald guy who I didn't know what, and he didn't say anything. And I never, I never saw him. I didn't know who he was. And uh, I auditioned and they go, blah, blah, blah. You know, I read with, uh, I guess I read with Costanza, blah, blah, blah. And then at the end of it, there's okay. Uh, anybody got anything to say? And then this bald guy says, yeah, come in the door. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll come in the door. I knew what he was talking about. You know, oh, come in the door. All right. So I go out 
And when you go out, you're in the waiting room with, with all this, you know, the bald guy, the fat guy, the short guy, and the secretary. So I go out, and I, you know, I look at them. I didn't see anybody else doing this. You know, while you're waiting, you see people go in the door. So I go out, I look at them. They look at me like, I don't know. You know, and I go back in like Kramer. And he goes, do it again. Okay. And I go out, come in like Kramer, you know. I do it a little different, you know, come in. He says, okay. Is that it? Yeah, okay, you can go. All right, so I go. Boom. About three days later, I get a call. He said, uh, hey, they want you to audition again. Okay, all right, I'll go in. And it's a big, long drive. It's out in a valley. It's like, a, you know, 45 minutes an hour, you know. Okay, I'm, you know, I like Seinfeld. I like the show. Okay. I go out there. Same bald guy, fat guy, short guy. <laughs> guy looks like you. And me. And I'm going, wait a minute. What's going on? I, I, I should get this part. I'm good. I, you, we, we work together. All right. Going, same people. And the bald guy, blah, blah, blah. He said, doesn't say anything. And then at the end, is there anybody got any questions or anything else? Anybody want to say? Yeah, the bald guy says, go in, come in, come in the door. Okay, I go out. Everybody's standing there. I didn't see anybody else doing this. I come in. He didn't say anything. I said, okay, thank you very much. Okay, I do this five effing times. And every time, except the last time, there was only two guys there, a short guy and a bald guy. But the other three times, the same people. And I'm getting like, what the hell? I mean, can't they make up their mind? I deserve this now just for being here five times. They're supposed to pay you after three and nothing. Okay. So on the fifth time, and I didn't see these two guys going in and out. I just... So on the fifth time, he, he says, again, that's all he said every time. Go in and come in like Kramer. So I go out, and I'm about to now, I don't care about this job anymore. I'm, I'm thinking they're rude. And I got a, an attitude, so I'm going to trot out my attitude, and I'm going to just chew their heads off. I don't care. I'm not, you know, I'm a stand-up comedian. I'm not an actor. That's my go-to position. So I go out, and re before I come back in, I say to the secretary, I, I whisper to her, I say, hey, who's the fucking fall ball guy who keeps me to come in and go out the door all the time? And she says, oh, that's Larry David. He produces the show. I go, oh, okay. <laughs> so now I just go in, and if he wants me to come in the door again, fine. You know, so that was the, the, the and, and finally I got the job. By the way, as I came out, you know, to say, okay, fine, you can leave the fifth time. As I'm going out, there's a whole row of, of offices. And one office is, is dark. There's nobody in it. And the light is off. But it's a mess. It looks like, you know, uh, th those people who, you know, people come to their homes and empty. The hoarders. Yeah. It looks like a hoarder's apartment. So I stopped and I walked all the way back to the secretary and I says, Who's that office? Larry David. <laughs> okay. He's as crazy as I am. All right, fine. You know, so I leave. I'm not a hoarder, but I, I understand the okay. You know. So that's how I got the job, is how I did that. But I, I if you want to know about Larry David, he's really a great director. And, and I understand why the show, it was as good as it was and why it appealed to me. Um, when I did the show and I was doing a Tom Pepper, um, in, my, in my mind, because when I, when I got the script, how it was written was, in my mind, I thought the more under I go, because this guy is obviously a, a passive aggressive kind of guy, that's what I decided anyway, that I should go with Buster Keaton. So my idea was to just blank, just, you know, uh, don't give me any more, uh, you know, fried, fried, you know, you know, dried fruit, just blank. So I'm doing it. And 
I noticed that Larry David, and a lot of directors do this, they call the actor over and say, all right, cut, I want to talk to my actor. And they go up and they walk and they talk about the, you know, the intent and all that shit. And so I, he was doing that with his cast. So then I'm saying, why, why doesn't he do it to me? You know, I want to talk to the director. And finally he does. He says, all right, uh, I'll hold it for a second. Tom is a director, but he just stands and watches uh, Larry David. And then when he sees something that he could add as funny, he'll stop and he'll go and he'll go and whisper something to an actor and he'll give him a joke basically. And it's always funny. So I thought that's what he's going to do. So he comes over to me, pulls me aside and he says, um, I know what you're trying to do. Now, the word trying got to me. You know, I said, and he did it with a kind of an attitude. You know, I know what you're trying to do. And, and I, so I gave him back attitude. I don't care. And I go, oh, really? What am I trying to do? And he says, you're trying to do nothing. And it was right on. That was exactly what I was trying to do. So it blew my mind. I, was, I wasn't prepared for that. I was prepared to get angry with him. And I go, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was trying to do. So he just whispers to me, says, you're doing something. And he walked away. And I thought, that's the greatest piece of direction I ever got. For, you know. So I go, okay. And, and then he goes, all right, let's do the scene again. And we do the scene again. You know, it's a dried fruit scene. So he goes, all right, cut it, cut. I want to talk to Larry. No, no, he didn't say that. He just said cut to the director. He said, stop. And he starts walking towards me, but he's walking so fast that I figure he's not going to talk to me. He's going to talk to somebody behind me. He's going to pass by, which he did. And as he passed by, he just whispered in my ear, you're still doing something. <laughs> Goes away. <laughs> I'm like, this guy's cool, man. This is, this is the, my kind of director. So I said, all right, I'm not going to do anything. And he just let it go by. And that's how I, 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 that's what a great director does. Uh, Cause I've asked a lot of great actors. They get you to where you want to go. They don't push you to where they want to go, but they make you comfortable enough and relaxed enough to get you to where you want to go. So that's Larry David is cool. He's, he's one of my favorite directors. In fact, I'm a big Curb Your Enthusiasm fan. I know that you auditioned for a, a scene, but you know, I don't think it really panned out for you. But um, No, because he gave me too much attitude, and I just gave it back to him, and he just said, get out of here. You know. So, But the interesting part about that is when I did leave, because I expected it, but I just didn't have to take this. You know, I don't take crap from people. So, um, and I don't care about the job. I just don't care about money that much. So when I went out the door, the guy who actually suggested that I should come in was uh, Jeff Garland with this time for, for, the, for the Curb Your Enthusiasm. And Jeff, as I walked in to do the audition, um, he said, you know, hey, I, I recommended you, Larry, you know, so be good. So, ah, thank you. Thank you for putting the kibosh on that. So this time the, the room was full of people. You know, because now he's a big, he's a big deal. He's a you know, major star. He's a genius. So the room is filled with about 30 people. It's like an audience, you know, and they're all writers and producers. And, you know, and then all I had to do was because they give you just a little piece of paper. There's no script. They, they improvise. So it said, you're getting off the elevator. Larry David is getting on the elevator and you do that dance, you know. Oh, 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 oh. oh that's cool. I can do that. So he goes, okay, fine. He's hi, Larry. Uh, hello, David. Uh, Larry, sorry. So I'm standing there. You know, it's just an air mime. So he goes, okay, and the doors open, and Larry David's there. So I'm, I'm going like this, and he's going like this, and this. But I won't let him on the elevator. I just keep doing the dance, you know. And and he's now he's really trying and and finally and i'm not letting him i'm going like this and finally he's all right that's enough stop all right enough enough and he's yelling and walking around going enough enough stop and then he says okay okay and then jeff comes running up to me out of the audience and he escorts me out the door and as i get out the door he follows me now nah, i don't care i'm just going back to my car you know i, I don't care <laughs> she says what did you do man what did you do I, go, I wouldn't let him on the elevator. He told me not to, you know, that stinks that don't let him on the elevator do the dance. I was doing the dance. I don't know what the hell was wrong with him. And he says, no, no, you shouldn't let him on the elevator. You were arguing with him. No, it wasn't. I didn't say a word. No, but you were arguing. And, and I said, well, I don't care, man. I was just doing what the piece of paper said, and I was just having fun. 
you know. So by at this, he turns around and he walks away, shaking his head like, like he was going to get fired for suggesting me. I mean, that's it seemed like what was in his head. I don't know, and I never heard from him again. But I, you know, the 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 weirdness of the connections and people's jobs, and I, what the hell is going? I my decision about Hollywood because I kind of gave up on Hollywood. My decision is they're just like my parents, and I was. I was disinherited, so you can imagine. <laughs> my, yeah, I was. I was disinherited. So, you know, because I gave them the same attitude I gave Larry David or anybody else who gives me attitude. You know, I just, I don't need it. It's not, it's not in my over. I have other things to do. So there, there's, there's the, the twin stories. The it it seems like you're a pretty straightforward guy, just like me. So I understand yeah. exactly what you're saying. You've directed films before too, right? You were well, my own films. I, I directed. Uh, I, I directed Sally's Diner, and that, and that got an Academy Award nomination. So I mean, I, you know, I know what I'm doing. Um, you know, and I leaned heavily on the cinematographer for that uh, nod. The, the film got the nod, but you know, I leaned heavily on that. But I've directed other things. I prefer not to because you have to take off that director's hat and then become the actor. And then people are asking you director's questions while, while you're in the middle of the scene or in the middle of the cut. And it just, you know, I, I, I have dyslexic, I have ADHD and I've got an attitude problem. So it, it doesn't gel well, you know, the whole thing. So I, I prefer other people to direct me, but I'll do it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm studying now directing. So, uh, yeah, eventually I'm going to direct my own movie. Eventually. We were talking about yesterday, uh, your experience with Clint Eastwood. Now yeah. you kind of realize what he goes through. People go up and ask him questions. He's acting in the film. There must be a lot of things going through that guy's head, right? Oh, oh, yeah. And, he, and he's always thinking. I mean, and he, and he only likes to do one take. If the, even if the director, I mean, it was Don Siegel. If Don Siegel wanted to do another take, he'd go, why? You know, would you, would you mind, uh, Clint, uh, would you mind doing another take? And he'd go, why? And he'd go, well, you know, the, the camera jiggled, you know, some technical thing. He'd go, oh, okay. But you would have to have a reason. And, uh, you know, I, I gave him a little trouble in that department. Because <laughs> I wanted to do another take. <laughs> that seems like your thing, giving people trouble and... You know, being the guy. Well, to me, it's innocent. You know, to me, when I say, because I was just repeating what he said. He, he said um, at one point to Don Siegel, he said, you know, uh, is that okay? The, the, the thing that Don Siegel would say to him every time was they do a take. And then Don would actually leave the camera, walk up to Clint for respect. And you go, uh, was that good for you? And then Clint would say, yeah. And then he'd say, okay, moving on. And they would say, was that good for you? Uh, or he'd say, can we do another one because of the camera jiggled? Or he'd say, was that good for you? And then Clint would say, I'd like to do another one. And then they'd say, okay, very rarely did he ever want to do another one. But one time, because I heard him say, I'd like to do another one. We came up to, uh, to John, uh, Don Siegel came up to Clint and said, how was that for you? And Clint said, that was okay. And I said, I'd like to do another one. And uh, uh, because I'd like to do it better. No, that what I exactly said was, I'd like to do another one. I can do it better. <laughs> and Clint just looked at me and he said, yeah, but I can't. And he walked away. <laughs> Whoa. And everybody was in shock, you know. Clint walked away from this uh, you know, unruly actor. Well, I said, was well, I can do it better again. And he said, uh, you know, better if we do. And he said, oh, well, I can't. And he walked away. And I thought, wow, man, that's rude. He didn't have to insult me like that. He could have said, well, we don't have time or something. I mean, you know, just to do that. And it stuck with me through the rest of the, I was there with three months, man. And it stuck with me. And I said, I'm going to get back at him. I don't care who he is. So one day we're up on a tier on tier C. So there's a drop off, you know, and what the director wanted to do, what Don Siegel wanted to do, was he wanted to shoot into the, uh, it was a two shot where two faces were facing each other and he wanted the camera to shoot back 
into a, into a cell. So you'd have to have the camera hanging over the, you know, the, the railing. They're hanging out there shooting this way. That's like a difficult shot. So it's kind of blocking. You, you, you can't walk by. There's two people. So he tells me, he says, um, he said, uh, oh, no, that was, that was another time. But we were doing the scene. So we do the scene. And um, there was about three or four days after this incident where Clint walked away. And I was just waiting for a, a time, a, t a perfect time where I could give him what he gave me. Because it just sat there in me. Sure enough, uh, Don Siegel walks up and he says, how is that for you, Clint? And Clint said, I swear the exact same words. He said to him, well, uh, I'd like to do it again because I could do it better. And when I heard that, I just said, well, I can't. And I walked away. But I walked away and I was tier C and you couldn't walk. The only way I could walk was I was on this side of the camera. So I had to walk away down the tier. The only way off was the door about a hundred feet down there on the stair. And I just kept walking and there was dead silence back there. And I just said, okay, I'm fired, but I got to get to the door. I will not turn around. I don't care. And I'm not going to apologize. And I just, I just want to get to the door. And as I'm walking and thinking this, you know, the door kept on getting further and further away. I just, it was just the longest walk I've ever taken. And about just when I was about, I don't know, 20 feet from the door, I hear Clint laugh his ass off. It's, hey, Larry, come on back. Hey, man, come on back. Yeah. You know, like, no big deal. Come here. You know, so then after that, he was my buddy, man. He was just my friend. And I don't know. That's the, that's the old Hollywood. I asked Don Siegel about that later. I said, well, you know what? What the hell was that all about? And he said, well, back when we, when we were making black and white movies and he was directing Lee Marvin and, you know, all these big, huge male stars, you know. He said, we, we would put a, each other on horribly all the time. I mean, that was the only way, because everybody was wearing suits and it was very formal back in those days, you know, huge cameras and everything. So I guess there was just one way, you know, and, and if it was just a headshot or a two shot or what, what they call a, a cowboy, you know, they cut off just be, be just above the waist. You know, they would take their pants off because it was so hot with the lights. So they would shoot a, a cowboy, you know, just in their underwear, <laughs> but what, suit jacket and a tie and I uh, and so he explained to me that you know one time they was uh, Broderick Crawford and Lee Marvin were fighting on the side of the road when he was going home when the Ron was going home uh, no no not in their underwear oh but he saw that they had a, a, a six o'clock a.m. call and there was police there and they were they were the police had just gotten there right before Don Siegel was driving by and they were bloody you know, one guy had a, bl a, a, a black eye. There's Lee Marvin and, uh, and uh, you know, Broderick Crawford. They're like stalkers, man. So um, he had to make a decision going about 50. <laughs> Should I go back and stop because they have a six o'clock call or just forget about it and just show up tomorrow? He said, I'm going to forget about it. And sure enough, these two guys showed up on the set, memorized their lines, makeup had cleaned up their face, and they just did it and, and did the scene like nothing ever happened the night before. So he said, that's just old Hollywood, Pankin. Just, you know, forget it. He forgot it. And he never did remember it. He, he, he um, suggested me for another movie, actually, after that. You know, so, yeah, it's weird. Well, just so people know, we're, we were talking about Escape from Alcatraz. Yeah. One of your, your first main roles right is that right yeah um, yeah as a matter of fact when i got that role i had just auditioned for a small role i didn't know uh, i mean the the reading the audition was just one page i didn't know how big the uh, the part was because i never read the screenplay so i just got the role and it was three months long which meant oh well i'm getting a lot of money so that was great but the other thing was i got a co-starring role i didn't ask for that i didn't even know that i was up for a co-starring role they just gave it to me. I mean, you know, I guess that's how they did it in the old days. Because, you know, both of them are from the old days. 
Well, you're from the old days as well now. Well, and I'm from the old days, but I wasn't in Hollywood. Yeah, yes, exactly. But I I wasn't in, you know, I I didn't know about that stuff. They were all filling me in with stories. Uh, Don Siegel was telling me all these old time stories were great. So let's talk about Breaking Bad. Um, Yeah. The audition process, how it it came to be for you. Obviously now you're you're the, the cool guy in the junkyard. Yeah, again, um, uh, that was a surprise. I, uh, I thought it was a small role. Um, I did one, uh, one shot, and then uh, my first uh, part was, uh, oh, the Winnebago. I was crushing the Winnebago. So that was just a small part. I, I just had, oh, no, no, both of them uh, had some things happen. I did the inside of the, um, I did the, uh, well, let's see, the, the Winnebago, I had to, there was two things I had to do in the script. One was I had to talk to a cop about keeping him out of the Winnebago legally because they were hiding in the Winnebago. Brian and Aaron were hiding in the Winnebago. So all I had to do was keep the cop out. And it was just five lines. You know, hey, you can't go in there because due process, whatever, I don't know. It's my property. You, you need a search warrant. That was it. My property, you need a search warrant. Get out of here. So I, I went in, and uh, there was a little, a small scene where I do, I was inside. I think there was a selling thing where he actually showed up with the Winnebago. And I went into the Winnebago, and I talked to Brian. It was just me and Brian, very short, maybe two or three lines. But I think I did it brilliantly. And I watched the scene, and I thought, geez, you know, I did that really, really well okay, and now I got to go and do uh, the keeping the cop out. So that was in the afternoon. So I go eat lunch, and I come back, and I'm ready for my five lines. You know, stay out. You can't go in there. I go into my dressing room, and there's a speech, um, a page long, just a monologue of a page long. Now, I got to tell you that I'm dyslexic. And one of the things about dyslexic is I need the script sooner than everybody else because I can't memorize fast. I can memorize, but it's a very slow process. So um, Henry Winkler also has uh, dyslexia, and he also has the same problem about memorizing. Very slow, one word at a time. Uh, So that's the problem I had. So I have to get my script early. But if it's just five or six lines, no problem. You know, I can just do that. But a, a major speech, a monologue of a page long, no, I need a week. I need a week, and that's in my contract. So I come in, and there's this monologue, and so I say to the AD, what is this? He said, oh, well, Vince liked your acting so much that he asked the writers to uh, write you a long speech. And I go, no, man. And I just started to get traumatized. I mean, I start to lose it. No, man, what are you talking about? No, I can't. Losing it so much that he started to get weirded out. And he said, hey, man, I got to get back to the set. I don't know what you're talking about. And he just left. I said, oh, I want to talk to Vince, Vince Gilligan. And he said, Vince isn't here. And he just disappeared. So I, and I, yeah, I said, how long do I have? He says, two hours. I'm like, oh, man, I can't do this. I tried. I tried my best. I really did. I couldn't. I couldn't do it. So I thought, okay, I'm going to get fired. Again, that's, that's my go-to. Whenever I think I'm going to, you know, fuck up. I, I just, I go to, all right, I'm going to be fired. Zen out. Just cool. Chill. It's not, you know, it's not the, the, the end of the world. It's fine. Okay. So I go on the set and the director says, okay, you ready, Larry? And I said, yeah, you know, I'm cool. I, I will not admit that I, I, I don't have it memorized or I'm going to do it wrong. I, yeah. So he says, because I had figured out a way to get around it. And what I figured is if they break up the scene, you know, cut to him, cut to me, and they do it in sections, just by I can memorize the sections fairly easily. Not too easy, but fairly. So he says, "Uh, anything you want to talk about? I said, yeah, you know, listen, I I thought of a way to shoot the scene. He goes, oh, really? Okay, what? I said, well, how about, you know, breaking it up into sections? And he says, uh, no, we're just going to do a walk and talk. We're just going to get you down there about, you know, walk out about 100 feet or so. And, uh, you know, everything's 100 feet to me. All right, get down there about 100 feet. 
and just walk to the camera and just say your lines. And, you know, and that'll be it, you know. Easy peasy, one shot, and you're out of here. I'm going, okay, fine. Any, anything wrong? No, fine. I walk out 100 feet. I get out there. He says, okay, you ready, Larry? And I go, yeah. And I, I got the first two lines memorized. So I go, blah, 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 blah. And now I'm making it up. I'm just like improvising legal jargon. And I'm just improvising. And I won't cop to the fact that it's not what's written. I'm just going. I get to the thing and he yells, cut. And I go, okay, now I'm going to be fired. You know, and I'm just ready. And he says, okay, um, let's do another take. Okay. Anything wrong? No. So I get back there. And I go, holy cow, I memorized the thing. Hey, that's amazing. Holy cow, so now I don't have to worry. Now I can, you know, screw up a couple of lines. It's cool. I'll get back there. I get back there. Now I'm, I'm very normal now, and I'm not nervous at all. Wow, I'm brilliant. And then I see this, the script girl coming towards me. Now, the script girl is in charge of the words on the page, and if she's coming towards you. She's going to tell you the word or the sentence that you missed. Okay, I've been there. She comes over, and, and I go, hey, all right, what did I miss? And she just shows me the script. Every other word is circled. Every other word. I've never seen that. Nobody's ever showed me that. Boom, 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 boom. And I go, hey, well, I got the gist of it. And she says, the director wants you to do it verbatim. She's very adamant about it, you know, very. And I go, okay. You know, I'm not going to cop to it at all. I just say, okay. And the director yells from the camera, is everything okay, Larry? And I go, yeah, everything's fine. And he starts walking towards me. And I go, this is not going to turn out well at all. Why are they just postponing this? Just fire me. Get me out of here. I don't want to go through this. This is a dance, man. He comes up to me and he goes, uh, and, he, and he just stands there uh, with, the, with the script. And he just stands beside me. And the cinematographer says, hey, what's going on? Uh, the guy, I guess his name is Al. Al, what's going on? Don't you want to stand next to the camera? You know, all directors stand next to the camera. Don't you want to stand next to her? He says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand with my actor and walk along with him. And he's got the, and I'm going, oh, no, man, this is like baby time. No, you're not going to walk with me. That's like childish. I don't want to be here. No. But that's inside. On the outside, I'm saying, okay, you're going to walk with me? Okay. And he goes, you know, where am I outside the camera range? It's about two feet. It's just, it's a, it's a cowboy. It's just as big. And I'm walking. And I go, okay. And he says, you okay with this, Larry? I fine, man. You know, because at the end, you're going to fire me. I didn't say that. But that's so he goes, okay, action. Okay, Larry. So I'm walking and I do the same thing. I'm just making up shit, you know, jargon, legal, dunna, 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 dunna. And I go, and, and he's, and I, as I, I, out of the corner of my eye, I see him. He's walking with me and his head is buried in the script. Dun, dun, dun. I get to the end and he goes, okay, thank you, Larry. Moving on, uh, uh, you're finished for the day. That was your second scene. Okay, Larry's dismissed. Thank you very much. You know, they all do that all the time. Okay, Larry's dismissed. But, and I go, what the hell happened? What? And I don't know what happened. And, and I so, uh, and he was busy setting up the next scene. And then there's a car driving me back to the production office because we're in the middle of the desert. So it is no time to ask what the hell happened. So I have to wait for the, the, the show. I want to see what the hell goes on. What this is brilliant. This is movies is magic. I watch the show and I tell my friends to watch it because I want to compare. What happened is that in the scene I am on camera for the most, I timed it, 10 between 10 and 15 seconds. What they did was, and he knew it by the time I got five feet out in the first take, this director knew what was going on. This guy doesn't know what's happening and he's improvising. Okay, let's see what he improvises. What they did was they took the two improvisations and they edited a voice over of uh, at least a minute of as long as it took, because what they wanted to do and what they did was they shot my two first lines, which they memorized and they cut to inside 
the Winnebago and my voice over. Then they cut to the cop. Then they cut back inside, back to the cop. And me, when I got one line that was either cool or memorized or that fit what they needed. So now I'm there, I'm talking. Then back and back, back and back, back and back. One line, back and back, third or fourth line, and that scene's over. So I delivered, yeah, that's amazing, man. That they knew, he knew, the director, <clears throat> who also wrote it, understood that, okay, we'll just cobble it together and he'll be a voiceover, no, no sweat. But here's the movie magic part. When I asked my friends, I said, what did you see of me in that scene? They said, you were just walking and talking and talking to the cop and every once in a while they cut inside to Aaron and Brian. I said, no, that's not what happened. What happened was they cut inside to Brian and the cop, the whole scene, and I got two seconds for four times. And so I wasn't walking and talking at all. I mean, for two seconds I was walking. But the image that was projected, so editing is amazing. It's magic. Movies is magic. It can really alter the scene, too, and uh, really set the place and the time and I did exactly, just feel. man. It just blew my mind with their in intelligence, not only of movies, but what movies really is and are. It just, a, a light bulb went on after I watched the scene. You know, like, holy cow, it's plastic. It's like, a, it's like a brain, man. It just, it'll morph into whatever you want it, you know. Plus, you got green screens and all that other stuff. And then it didn't even have that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Will you ever do stand-up comedy ever again, at least one more I'm, time? I'm working on it right at this second. Right after I hang up with you, I go back to rehearsal. Yeah, uh, but it's uh, I got off of it for a while, but that's what I am. I'm, I'm stand-up. I'm a talker. You know, I'm a, I'm a storyteller. I mean, my man, my major, major man is Aesop. I mean, that, that's, he was so cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and 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 you know all the all the other guys, Myron Cohn and Sam Levinson, the old talkers who uh, who told about their life stories. Now it's back. You know they always talk about, hey, take my wife, please. Well, we're back to that. Only it's now you know my my mother you know beat me, and you know now I'm. It's the nitty gritty mom and and family, but it's back to family, and that's what I can do really well. I'm looking but, forward to it, actually. You were opening up for the uh, the Kings Trio. What happened? Uh, the Kingston Trio. That one yeah. Whole, yeah. What happened at that whole Well, the Kingston Trio, Miles Davis. Oh, uh, yeah, all of them. Uh, the Kingston Trio and Miles Davis. But Miles Davis was my crowd. The Kingston Trio wasn't. So, uh, you know, when I opened for the Kingston Trio, and I'm talking about, this is back in the 60s, I'm talking about, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And I'm just, you know, talking about what everybody's talking about. And this guy comes across the dance floor because it was a nightclub. You know, they have these big dance floors. And you can't see past the dance floor because the lights are in your eyes. This guy comes up. I hear from the blackness. I'm talking about, I had a microphone. Uh, I had like a microphone. And so I'm talking like this. And I go like this. You know, he's going, okay, so what about God? We're going to talk about God now. And I'll, I feel a room. I, I hear sphincters closing like this boom and then and then i go so god and and he invented these little people these little human beings and i put this little this little guy i put him on the top of the microphone i say hey you 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 don't have any you're not you're not you don't have any no fur or nothing what's that between your legs and that was we don't want to hear that bring on the kingston trio and I go, no no what's that you got between your legs hey man we don't want to hear that shit and I just kept on going, all right. And then I see this guy walking across the dance floor with a beer bottle upside down in his fist. And he's saying to me, he's like a lumberjack, man. I mean, he's dressed in a suit, but he's a stalker. And he's coming at me. He said, I said, get off the stage, man. Where's the Kingston trio? And I said, they're coming right up. I'm getting off the stage. And I just walked off the stage and I sat at the bar. And so the bartender comes up to me. He says, what the hell are you doing, man? There's nobody on a stage. And I go, did you saw that guy with the beer bottle? He says, yeah, I saw him. He said, get back on the stage. You got 10 more minutes. I go, no, man, he's going to hit me with the beer bottle. Where's the, where's the bouncer? He said, I'm the bouncer. Get the hell back on the stage. 
I said, I'm not getting back until you see, sit that guy or kick him out. I'm not going to get beat up for you or this place. And he goes, you don't get back on stage. You're not getting, you're not getting paid. I said, I'm not getting back on stage. He says, you're not getting paid. I said, okay, bye. And I just walked out of the club. <laughs> and it was a storm outside. It was up in Boston. It was snowing out there. So I had to come back in the club and, you know, and go to the payphone and call a cab to get me to the airport. It's very embarrassing. But yeah, I don't just, I don't need it. I just don't need this crap, man. It's uh, all, so, you know, away. you have a good attitude in the first place, but when somebody really hassles you, uh, you're like me, I just, I don't, I shut it off. I walk right away. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, well, there was one time where I learned my lesson. I don't know if you learned your lesson, but I did. I didn't walk away. Um, I thought it was over and it wasn't. Um, I was in a bar and uh, a, there's only one thing tougher, I think, in a fight. If you're going to fight somebody uh, than a football player, especially a lineman, is um, a, a lacrosse player. They don't have any kind of padding and they hit each other with sticks. I mean, you got to be crazy to play that game. Super so I had, I was, I was friends with a lacrosse player's girlfriend, just a friend, man. She's a very pretty girl, but you know, we had uh, one or two classes. And uh, when I would meet her in a bar, in the orange bar, cause I went to Syracuse, you know, I would sit and I would talk to her, but there was nothing going on. I never even thought about it. Uh, so I, I was in, I was in a bar one time and a guy comes up to me and I said, uh, what, what, are you, what are you doing? Uh, you sleeping with Joni? Joni? You mean Joni blah, blah, blah? Yeah, yeah. No, no. Why? I'm her boyfriend. I hear you sleeping with her. No, man, I'm not. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. He walks away and he goes into the back. There's a back room too. Everybody's, you know, sober. I was in the front in the bar. And and then I see Joni run out of the bar crying. And she runs out and down the what the Okay. And then he comes back to the bar and he stands right next to me and he goes, um Oh no, no. So I, I asked somebody who just came out of the back and I said, What happened to Joni? Well, why was she crying? He said, uh Phil, whatever his name is. Phil just, just, man, he slapped her, man, and uh, hard and made her cry. And then she ran out of the bar. So he comes, he comes back. He said, so he stands there and I just, I said, Hey, um, I did. Joni just ran out of the bar and she was crying. Yeah. And if she comes back in the bar, she's going to go out crying again. I go, did you hit her? The guy said that you slapped her or something said, yeah, I slapped her. She comes back in the bar, I'm going to slap her again. I go, well, guys, guys can't hit girls. <laughs> that's what I said to him. <laughs> and he said, oh, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> I really didn't know that. Which got me just so incensed that he's making a joke out of it. Then I just went, bam. Just, I didn't even know I was going to do that. Bam. And I seen him square in the nose. It was a perfect shot. You know, I never hit anybody in my life. And he went, you know, boom, boom, boom. And he hit a guy and it, 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 it uh, tilted out his, uh, his shuffleboard game. <laughs> Remember that? He hit the shuffleboard, tilt. Hey, man, what are you doing? You tilted on my game. And then everybody jumped on him and held him back. And I thought, so far, so good. And then the bartender says, no fighting in here. Hold him, hold him. And I got cool bartender, man. That is so cool. He said, if they want to fight, throw them outside. So two guys grabbed me, two guys grabbed him, and they threw us out of the bar, out onto the sidewalk in front of the picture window of the bar. And then everybody just came with their beers. They took them to the bar, and they just were standing at the picture window waiting to see what happened. And he goes you sucker punch me, man. And I go, no, no, I didn't sucker punch you. See, you hit Joni, so I hit you. So everything is even, and I'm not mad anymore. And he goes, yeah, but now I am. And he says, okay, now I'm going to give you another shot. He says, you know, because I think you're stupid. So go ahead. I'm going to stand here. My hands are down at my side. 
Try that again. Give me a sucker punch me again. Go ahead, just try it. And I go, no, man, I'm, I'm not mad. He said, hey. I said, try to sucker punch me again because I'm going to count to three now. And if you don't sucker punch me by three, I'm going to wipe up the fucking street with you. So what are you going to do? One. And he said, hey, man. Two. And just before three, race through my mind, well, you might as well because I'm going to die. So I just went, and for some reason it was slow motion and I see his hand come up and go, and then I see this fist going, bam, and just stars and black. I mean, everything you see in a cartoon, just bump. And then he did. He wiped up the streets with me. I'm trying to fight back, you know. It's not working, man. And then I throw one punch and I threw my arm out, you know. So now I'm fighting with one hand. And he knocks me down. And then it starts to rain. And so he's, he's, now he's kicking me. And he gets on top of me. And then we put his knees on my arms, you know, that, that situation where he sits on my chest, knees on my arm, you know, and he's, he's looking down at me. And it's raining now, you know, so a heavy drizzle and it's getting wet all around him. And then he, he looks, he's got his knees on my arms, but he's looking at his knees and he's wearing chinos. I'll never forget that. He's wearing chinos. And of course, the bottom of his knees are, are wet, you know, because it's, you know, right below that it's on my shoulders, his knees and my arms. And he goes, hey, my knees are wet. I go, it's raining, man. And he goes, well, you're going to pay for the damn, yo, you're going to play for the the dry cleaning, he says to me. You're going to play for the dry cleaning, man. And I thought that was just so ridiculous. It was in my face, man. I thought that was so ridiculous that all this pain, I don't care. And I just went, and I just spit right in his face. He was about that far away. And it just landed in. Well, that just drove him nuts, man. And he's wailing on And finally, he was doing it so bad that a good friend of mine, an ex-Marine, who happened to me in the bar, runs out and pulls him off me. And, I got, and he just pushes him away. And he, he actually pulled out a knife. And he says, just leave him alone, man. Leave him fucking alone. You know, it's enough, enough, enough. You beat him up. Okay. You know. And he picks me up. So he did. He, he kind of walked away, went back into the bar. I think his friend walked out and they walked away. So he, 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 he sits me on the curb and I'm just, oh God, man. And I say, and he says, you want anything? Or can I help you? Or should we call the ambulance? Or, you know, what's going on? I said, no, just get out of here. Just get out of here. Everybody leave me alone. I didn't want to talk to anybody. So I sat there for about 15 minutes in the rain. People went back to the bar. They just ignored me. He came back again. He changed clothes and he had an umbrella and he was going to, and he, with his buddy again, he's you're still here, man. He says, what are you, I'm going to fuck you up again. As his friends said, no, man, don't know. It's just, you're going to kill him. Just, so they moved on. So that was it. But since then, yeah, I do walk away. Yes. <laughs> I well, thank away. God he walked away the second time. The second right? time. Yeah, but no, he did come up to me and he, he said to me, and I, I man, I, it's, it's fried onto my brain. He said, I'm going to fuck you up again, he said, because he wanted me to at least resist, you know. So he said, hey, man, he stood there and he said, hey, man, I'm going to fuck you up again. And I said, go ahead. I, ha- I, don't, I don't have any more. I got an empty tank, man. So you can do whatever the fuck you want. I'm just going to sit here. You know, it's, it's I don't have anything. Go ahead. That's when his friend said, hey, man, all right, it's enough, you know, stop. You know. So he walked away. I just sat there for another 15 minutes. Now, the interesting thing was about that. Uh, two weeks later, you know, I was kind of healing. Joni called me and said, I hear, because um, it was either vacation or something, but I didn't see her for those two weeks. So she didn't, she had just heard what had happened. She said, you know, did Phil really beat you up that badly? I go, oh, man, are you kidding? You know, I dislocated my arm. I, you know, I'm, I'm uh, sore all over. You know. She said, okay, well, well, why don't you come over? She, uh, you know, because we were like, uh, if we weren't senior freshmen, we were seniors or juniors. We were senior juniors because she lived in her own place. 
on, on campus. She said, why don't you come over and you know, let, let me just see you. Because I lived in a, in a dorm. Uh, or, or a fraternity house, but she couldn't come in. So I went over there, and she screwed me, you know, just to get back at her. Now it's a kind of a heavy price to pay, and I, you know, I mean, and she was, she had to be really gentle because I, every time I would move somewhere, no, ow, 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 ow. Yeah, but it was like, great, no, great, no. <laughs> oh, man, you know, it just goes on. And on. So, yeah, I walk away. It sounds like there was light at the end of the tunnel for that big experience you had. But um, you yeah. were talking about coffee earlier. Uh, you yeah. said quick coffee. What's the story behind that? No, there's no, no story. It was just, uh, let's have a quick coffee. You said, you know, let's meet for coffee. So, Where's the coffee? It's got to be quick. We're going to talk. We're going to do an interview. No, I, there's no. Um, I actually, for some strange reason, I gave up coffee about a couple of months ago. Uh, somebody said, because uh, I was drinking a lot. I was writing a screenplay at the time. So I was like sequestered beyond COVID, uh, the COVID-19 thing. I had been sequestered for a month before COVID hit. So it didn't affect me at all. But I was drinking a lot of coffee, you know, and, and smoking. You know, no, no big deal. But the coffee thing, and I was afraid once I was finished with the script, or about two weeks before the script, you know, we were heavy into the COVID thing about sequestered and getting masks. So I was trying to be, because my hair is gray, so I was trying to be really cool. So I stopped anything that would, you know, make my body, I, I, I stopped doing drugs, I stopped doing coffee, I started taking vitamins, you know until this day, until I'm talking to you, I still haven't done any coffee or beer or anything. You know, I'm fighting for my life, man. I got gray hair. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we live in some really weird times now. Everybody's in their home. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, I don't really understand exactly, you know, what's going on. You know, there's obviously COVID-19, but I don't really understand what, like, where I live, there's a big amount of people dying, uh, especially in like nursing homes and stuff. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, so th there's that. And, and I don't understand this. This is the part that, so the president of the United States, um, you know, if, if there was a war, he would send, you know, uh, soldiers to the battle, you know, okay. And here's, okay, everybody. What I don't understand is, is the logic because if you're going to send guys into battle, what you do is you say, here's the logic that's now. Okay, we're sending you into battle. You're going to fight. There's, there's 10,000 of them guys that you're going to fight. But we're sending in 20,000 of you guys, okay? So you got twice as much. We got to win, you know, because we're America. We got to win. But here's the thing. There's 10,000 of them, 20,000 of us. We got 10,000 guns. So we're only going to give you, every other guy has a gun, okay? Go in and do your best. So with COVID-19, we got nurses on the front line, and we don't have enough masks. They're being sent into battle with half the equipment. But for guys going into war, oh, yeah, everybody gets a gun. But it's women. That means 80% of the front line is women. But no, you don't get any. You don't get the uniforms. You don't get protection. No, no mask. I mean, what the hell? What? That's Homo sapiens, man. I don't get it. It's a it's a very touchy subject for everybody, right? I mean, we we think everybody I don't has care. point of view, and you know, no, no it has nothing to do with point of view. Yeah, it's if you're sick, yeah, exactly. give the nurse some equipment. I mean, she's going to take it home and give it to her kids. That's I don't care if you're for or against him or COVID-19. If you're going to go into battle, suit people up so they can fight. I mean, it's a nurse. It's not a, a moral question. It's not Democrat or Republican. It's homo sapiens, man. We're, we're a species. We're the youngest species. We don't know what the fuck we're doing, man. I mean, it's a small globe. We are the first, you know, when you get an apple and it starts to rot and there's this gray fuzz, 
Yeah. Well, think of the world, Earth, as an, a nice shiny apple in the middle of space, and we're this gray fungus that's just consuming it, you know? All that's left is a hard black core and no fungus at all. We are the fungus on the apple. That's, that's my vision of what's going on. It has nothing to do with politics. It just, my mother capsulized it. They don't use the good sense God gave them. I mean, we're smarter than this, but we don't use it. I mean, we can figure it out. We could. The species can figure it out. And, and we'll get past it. Uh, but, you know, and we'll get past it, maybe. You're, you're, you're 100%. So for, another, for another five, six hundred years or maybe a thousand years. But we're, uh, you know, we're like dodo birds. We're not keeping up with what's happening. Yeah. Not. Water. Yeah. I mean, water. Think about that. We, lose, we lost dodo birds and a lot of things, but we're losing tigers, right? We're losing tigers. Nobody's killing the tigers except us. Nobody's killing the elephants except us. us. So, all right, tigers, elephants, homo sapiens, three species that are going to become extinct. No big deal. Hey, other people, other things become extinct. We're a species. We don't think like that. We're human beings, and there's other species. They're species, your cat's a species, your dog's a species, but we're human beings. No, we're not. We're homo sapiens, we're species. We can become extinct. We, not using the sense that God gave them. Very well said, very well said. I would agree 100% with that. Um, let's talk about your new projects. Any new projects? Well, in- that's, the, that's part of the, 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 my, my stand-up. I mean, it's a little funnier than that because <laughs> I, I still haven't, you know, you got to massage it until it gets funnier. But that's where I'm going. I consider myself not exactly a stand-up comedian, but a stand-up social anthropologist is what I am. <laughs> well, I can't wait to see you back on stage. Maybe I'll even make the trip down to L.A. Maybe you'll let me even open up stand-up for you. You never know. Uh, you bet. You, you're, you're on the list. Awesome. <laughs> Your name is right up there. I think it's first. It's oh, good. <laughs> good. Well, hopefully I can, uh, I can somehow make it stay first on that list. Although I know a lot of people oh, okay, want cool, to at the same time. So I appreciate yeah, just, it. I hope you don't come at me with, or anybody comes at me with a, with a beer bottle. Oh, but, no. but that's the great thing about the internet, you know. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> well, was he, was he a big guy, by the way? Was he a big oh guy? yeah. At least, you know, I was a young man. It was a, it was a late sixties, but when some guy comes at you with a beer bottle, you're looking at the beer bottle. I have been I have been at the uh, the receiving end of a gun twice in my life. It's oh. very scary, and police will corroborate this. But if you ask me what the guy who was holding the gun and pointing it at me at my head, he had the gun at my head. I mean, but I met him, and then he pulled his gun out and put it at my head. Um, if, if you ask me what he looked like, I don't know. If you ask me what the gun looked like, I can give you an exact, exact uh, description. It was a silver 45, Colt 45 Army service revolver. I'll remember that until the day I die. I don't know what the fucking guy looked like. It's the same thing with, um, you know, that. You just remember the beer bottle. I remember it was Coors. <laughs> I remember his, and he didn't, and his fingernails were dirty, but I don't know what he looked like. You know, he was just ma- massive coming to me out of the dark. Get off the fucking stage. Bring on the Kingston Trio. And with the Miles Davis, it's, you know, he, he would sit in the audience and listen to me. Go figure. Homo sapiens. Well, you've got a lot of stories, but unfortunately oh, yeah. right now we got to We got to end this. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, fine. <laughs> we, will, we will talk more. There'll be some more okay. Chronicles of Larry Hankin coming up on the show as well. And, I, cool. and we mentioned, uh, well, I don't think we mentioned during this show, we talked off the air about you are writing a biography. But all you Well, yeah, that, that's what the, the biography uh, will start out as a stand-up, uh, which is uh, uh, the, uh, the dark middle belly of Hollywood is kind of what it's going to be like. It's, it's about... Like uh, the uh, Larry David stories and the Clint Eastwood stories, stories about Hollywood. And then the biography will be in between my life 
you know, girlfriends and, 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 uh, and, and how I grew up and my sister and, but they're all intertwined and they're all based on ADHD and dyslexia and what that gets you into and out of because there's all blessing and a curse, you know? So I don't, I wouldn't, I, I've asked myself and people have asked me, yeah, well, if you had to do it over again, I don't know if I would do it any different. I kind of dig my life. Even with the guns and, and Larry David and Clint Eastwood and all that stuff. Well, there's a lot of shows. You know. like I'm, a, I'm a big <laughs> fan of, of your work. You know, you, uh, you're in Home Improvement, Friends, Seinfeld, uh, the George Carlin show as well. Uh, oh, yes, the lobster. <laughs> and, and it's, you know, you've, you've had a long, illustrious career. And then maybe in, in, in the next show, we'll talk about when you first came to California because okay, uh, cool. that's, that's very in-depth. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it's really amazing how you came here. Um, your friend uh, was involved with Jaws, the, probably one of the biggest movies of all time. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. You know, Game that, changer. Yeah. <laughs> sleeping on his couch for two weeks and, you know, having oh, yeah. to get together is, is a very crazy thing. But this will be to be continued, Larry. Okay, cool, George. I'm for it. 